Welcome to Truth Revealed Ministries, the weekly broadcast from Soul Purpose Evangelical Church in Middletown, New York, with Reverend Albert Feliciano Sr. Our aim is to share with you the uncompromised, infallible, and impregnable Word of the Living God. Our prayer is that today's message draws you closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Albert. Greetings. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in today to our broadcast. We'd like to also thank you for your prayers and support. We pray that God's grace and His peace be with you. What an exciting time of year it is. Uh, we're going to be approaching Resurrection Sunday this week, and uh, for many it's just a wonderful time to remember the great sacrifice that the Lord Jesus had done for us and he reconciled us back to his Father. Thank you so much, O oh Lord, for your cross. Glory to God. And today I have a message that I'd like to share with our audience today. And the message is titled, The Cross, the Christ, and the Resurrection. Glory to God. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to scroll down in that same chapter. Uh, to verse 46 through 49. Amen? Let's begin. Starting at verse number 1, and the word of the Lord says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did, did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Let's scroll down now to verse number 46. And the word says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Hallelujah. Well, it is a fact, hallelujah, Jesus is alive, he is risen from the dead, and he is seated on the throne, he is at the right hand of the Father himself, glory to God. We know that this Sunday is approaching, Easter Sunday, and it's really actually Resurrection Sunday morning. It's one of the most important days in the Christian faith, one day that Everyone in the whole world will be thinking about Christ Jesus. This is the day where we remember the victory 
through Christ over sin and the grave, over hell itself. This is the day that the door to God, the gate, the way was opened again for mankind to be able to uh, be connected again with the Father, to walk in the cool of every day with the Father, to speak with Him and to hear His voice. Glory to God. This is the day which represents our greatest victory. And uh, uh, the, the sad reality is it's often overshadowed by bunny rabbits and, and cute little decorative eggs and loads of chocolates and all these other ridiculous things that we see in this holiday. Let me tell you, the devil is a lie. Hallelujah. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's not about Easter. It's about resurrection Sunday morning. Glory to God. Today in this message, I want to focus on three key points in my message. The cross, the Christ, and the resurrection. Three critical factors on this special day that can never be forgotten. That it is often misunderstood, but there's no mistake. Jesus rose from the grave. Hallelujah. So let's begin. Let's start with the cross, the cross of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the blessed cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus embraced his cross. It was to endure the cross that he was born in the first place. We often make a grave mistake by thinking that the cross was something that happened to Jesus or something that could have been prevented. And the reality is that's completely wrong, dead wrong. His death on the cross was the very reason that he came to earth in the first place. The death of Jesus Christ is a fulfillment in history of the very mind and heart and intent of God. There is no place for us to see Jesus as some sort of martyr for the faith. Hallelujah. The cross was the collision course between God and sin. And the cross represented a supreme triumph over sin, over death, over the grave, and over hell itself. The cross of Christ, it shook the very foundations of hell. But all the pain, shame, and all the cost was absorbed by Jesus Christ himself. He alone bore our sin, took upon himself our burden. He paid the full price of the wrath of God. And he did so to satisfy the justice of God. Through Christ, he made it possible for the entire human race to be reconciled back to God. John 1, 29, it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. Glory to God. At the heart of our salvation is the cross of Christ. Never forget that. The cross is our key to open up eternal relationship with God the Father once again. The cross is the place of our identification with Jesus Christ. The cross is where we sign our death certificate to the sinful nature. The cross is where we deny ourselves any claim or rights we have to our sinful life. The cross is the place of death for our old man. The cross is our execution chamber. The cross 
is our lethal injection. Look at what the words of the Apostle Paul are in Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. O church, O saints of God, if we could only get off of our high horses and, and begin to identify with Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. Glory to God. It's, it sounds like a riddle, but it's actually quite simple. When we try to save our reputation, when we try to save our identity and, and try to hide the fact that we're servants of God, what in essence we're doing is losing our life, or we're, excuse me, we're saving our life. We, we don't want to come under an identification with Jesus, so we're, we're trying to save our reputation, save our life. But when we lose it by identifying Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I walk with Jesus, I, I, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. When we start to vocalize and, and, and tell people about Jesus Christ, we all of a sudden lose our life to this world and we come under identification with Jesus Christ. Glory to God. And whoever loses his life for my name's sake, he says, shall find it. What is so important in this world that is holding you back from identifying with Christ? Think about that question for a moment. Because our world right now it seems to be a little insane with all this political correctness. We're so careful of saying the right things and, and not saying the wrong things to offend this group or that group. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. No other died in my stead. No other took the full payment of my sin upon himself. No other made a way. Buddha didn't do it. Mohammed didn't do it. Allah can't do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oprah Winfrey can't do it. Hira Krishna can't do it. Reverend Sun Young Moon, and you name them, all, all of these gurus. No one died for me. No one died for you but Christ Jesus. And in him alone is salvation. There is no other way, no other name by which we shall be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Stop being afraid to identify with the Lord. He rules, he reigns, and he is seated on the throne, and he is coming again. Hallelujah. What, what is preventing you, saints of God? What is preventing you from telling the whole world, from, from telling your family, your loved ones, that you belong to Christ? Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. Allow the Holy Spirit to flood your heart with boldness. Hallelujah. The world doesn't understand the cross. They actually think it's stupid. Why would someone die? 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus embraced his cross. He told us to follow him. And he said, if you want to uh, be my disciple, follow me and carry your own cross. Matthew 16, 24, right? Uh, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. These are three steps 
to discipleship. The disciples, when they heard this statement, they really didn't know, they really didn't fully understand what Jesus meant by taking up his cross. He had not yet been crucified. He had not yet suffered the cross. And so to them, it sounded like a foreign, a, a, a weird statement. But the reality is, was God was saying that in order to be his disciple, you need to do the things that he did and you need to follow him exactly to the letter. Amen? Now, you and I know exactly what the cross means. We are to deny ourselves, to pick up our own cross, really our instrument of death, death to this flesh, death to this soulful man, this corrupt man, hallelujah, and to follow the Lord Jesus as his disciple. Paul, the apostle Paul, he never said, uh, uh, I have made a determination to imitate Christ. He, you would never hear him say, I will make an effort to follow Christ. But in essence, that's what many of us are saying. I'll do my best. I'll, I'll try my best. I'll, I'll try to serve as best as I can, just so long as it fits my little narrative, so long as it fits my schedule. Listen, Paul, the apostle, he said, I am crucified with Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.23, he says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Let me ask you a question, saints of God, those listening today. Are, are you carrying your cross today? Are you denying yourself, your flesh? Are you dying daily? Are, are we walking in humility are we identifying with the cross of Christ? I hope we understand that this is a real critical component of our discipleship. It's a very important part. It's, it's part of the struggle of being a Christian, carrying the cross. Jesus carried his cross, and we too are to carry our own cross. Do we recognize its significance? Or should we do like so many do? Should we just buy a gold cross, a, a necklace, and put it on our neck as a symbol so that we don't necessarily have to carry anything heavy? Wow. The cross of Christ represents one thing for us. The complete, absolute, and total identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Let's go to the second point, the Christ God in the flesh, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, our Lord and our Savior. John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Christ. Christ Jesus. Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, the living word, the bread from heaven. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And let me just say this for, for the Jehovah's Witnesses out there. It's not just 
a God. You know, as the, the, the New World Translation would say, it's a God. Jesus was a God. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. Not only was he God, he still is God. He was God and still is God. Jesus is God. Make no mistake about it. John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 14, 6, it says, I am the way. These are Jesus' words out of his own mouth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one, comes to the Father except through me. It can't get any more clear than that. C.S. Lewis, a very well-known writer, uh, uh, he says Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he was Lord. And for the next few moments, I want to explore that particular statement. Let's start with lunatic. Either Jesus was a lunatic because he chose willingly to undergo the most brutal and unimaginable painful death known to mankind for nothing or for no reason at all. Obviously, that would make him a lunatic. Jesus couldn't have been a lunatic because he showed no signs of mental illness at all. Jesus made bold and astonishing claims. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I and the Father are one and the same. Jesus said that he was the Son of the living God. Jesus said he had the power to forgive sins. Jesus said he had the power to lay his life down and the power to take it up again. Jesus said that he had the power to heal the sick. He had the power to raise the dead. He had the power to cast out devils. Now these are some amazing statements. And I would agree, this would sound to be pretty loony if he couldn't back it up. But the reality is, he did back it up. Jesus did all those things. John 10, 37-38, I love what he was telling uh, the Pharisees. He says, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Glory to God. He backed up his own words with action. Not like a lot of the, the fakes that we see today. Glory to God. Let me tell you, the New Testament is loaded with miracles and signs and wonders. We also see in the word of God that there were bodies raised from the dead. Lazarus, Jarius' daughter, the numerous people who came out of their tombs and appeared to everyone in the street. They were resurrected along with Christ Jesus. We read about that in Matthew 27. And many people are even unaware that this happened. Let me tell you people, it's in the book. Glory to God. All you need to do is pick up the book. Read your Bible. It's there. Jesus could not have been a lunatic. He proved it. Glory to God. Let's go to the second statement. That he was a liar. 
Let me tell you, in order to lie about himself being the Lord, being the Messiah, being the Christ, he would have had to be the smartest man that ever lived, the smartest man that ever walked the planet. And he was, let me tell you. However, he would have needed help from the prophets of old to carry out this masterly plan. And that would have been impossible because Jesus wasn't even born yet. So how could he have uh, uh, cohorted or, or, or planned with any other prophets of old when he hasn't even been born yet? If we believe that Jesus' claims were false and that he was a liar, then why would people say in the word that he was a great teacher? Why would people call him rabbi? And why would they follow him if he was deceiving them? Why would people leave their families, their wives and children, and follow this great teacher? Why would the disciples themselves willingly go to their death, voluntarily die for a lie? It would make no sense. Why would those in the early church, those who might have faced death, and gave in. Not one of them was ever recorded saying, this was a lie. I was just trying to keep the lie alive. I don't want to die. Please don't kill me. I was just covering it up. How come not one person is recorded in the entire Bible, even through history, the annals of history, there's not one recording or one written word about someone saying, I was just covering up a lie. Why would so many willingly die for a lie? The fact is, it's mathematically impossible for Jesus' life to be a lie, for Jesus himself to lie. He says he is not a man that he should lie. Hallelujah. Everything he did in life, he fulfilled God's prophetic words. He fulfilled God's will. He fulfilled God's perfect plan of reconciliation with mankind, and he proved it with his own life. In order for Jesus to deceive everyone, things would have had to line up perfectly in order for that to work. And that's about as absurd a lie as the earth came from nothing. You know, for, for many of our atheist friends that might be listening, that seems to be the mantra that the earth and everything in it and life itself came from nothing. Uh, I forget the name of this world right now. Richard Dawkins, I believe, is his name. Uh, uh, says that the earth and life itself came from nothing, that nothing produced everything. Absolutely ridiculous. That's the most absurd worldview I could ever imagine. I, I believe it takes more faith to believe in that lie, in that garbage, than it does to believe simply that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again and made a way for you to be reconciled with the Father. If anything is certain, the Big Bang and the evolution theory is one of the greatest lies or greatest hoaxes ever placed upon mankind, I would say even by even greater lunatics, to be, to be honest with you. So let's just put it to rest. Jesus could not have been a lunatic. Jesus could not have been a liar. So let me go to my third point, which leads me to my climactic ending, the resurrection. In other words, if he wasn't a lunatic and he wasn't a liar, then he had to be Lord. And Jesus is Lord. We hear him say all throughout Scripture, 
I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. If it were not so, I would not tell you. I tell you the truth, for I can only speak the truth. Jesus was the physical embodiment of truth. And he walked on earth as truth. And Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? And, and he turned around and walked away. Just like so many of us do, we walk away from truth. The physical embodiment of truth walked on this earth. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Listen to what it says. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. In other words, people saw Jesus Christ alive after being crucified on the cross at Calvary. Hallelujah. We serve a risen God. Let me tell you, if you want my attention, I say this to all these uh, wannabe gurus out there and all these you know, false prophets, you, you want my attention? Come out of your grave and you'll have my attention. Until then, I serve the risen Lord. I serve the mighty God, the, the King of kings, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Glory to God, the Messiah. Let me talk a little bit about the resurrection. This is the single greatest fact of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Everything that we believe is based upon the truth of this historical facts, fact. Without the evidence of the resurrection, nothing else fits. But with the evidence, everything fits. The resurrection of Christ is a historical fact. There are at least 15 biblical accounts of Jesus interacting with people after his resurrection. We read about a few of them just a moment ago, about him appearing to 500 people and speaking with them. The Bible records Jesus not only that, but he walked on earth for 40 days and 40 nights after the resurrection. He did countless miracles. He, he produced many signs and wonders. The Bible said if, if there were uh, uh, written about all the things that he did, there would not be enough books in the whole world to contain all the things that Jesus did. There were others he spoke to and touched. And he even made breakfast for the disciples on the seashore of the Galilee. In fact, Jesus did come alive again and he was seen by many. And historians, Josephus, one of them particularly, who wrote about Jesus and he wasn't even a believer. But he wrote about Jesus and wrote about the resurrection. As we discussed earlier, many people might not be aware of this, but Matthew 27, 
uh, 51 through 53, it talks about how when Jesus was crucified and he gave up his spirit that something incredible happened. What in actuality, what happened was a great earthquake took place. The sky was turned dark. And, and what happened was this earthquake caused the veil, the veil of leather, of flesh, the veil to be torn in the temple. In other words, there is no need for a divider between man and God any longer. Jesus himself tore the veil. That, that veil was torn by the act of Jesus' obedience to the Father. And now we have direct access. We don't need Mary, Mother Mary, to pray for us. Glory to God. We pray directly to Jesus Christ. We pray directly to the Father. Hallelujah. That day when that earthquake happened, many graves were opened up and the dead rose. Glory to God. The Bible records many dead came out of their tombs alive and numerous people began to shout the praises of God. They walked around and they testified. And the very Roman soldiers that put Jesus on the cross and nailed him to the cross, when they witnessed all of these uh, uh, powerful uh, evidences, they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Let me tell you, every time the Lord Jesus shows up on the scene, we hear about an earthquake taking place. Let me tell you, that's power. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. And the second coming is going to happen. Glory to God. I believe it's going to happen sooner than we think. And when he comes again and he steps on the Mount of Olives, there will be a massive earthquake unlike this world has ever seen. And it will literally renovate the entire earth. Now let me tell you people, that is power. Glory to God. And you know, when we read earlier about this earthquake and the graves opening up, it, it really is a pattern of the second coming of Jesus Christ, where the graves will be opened and the saints will rise up from the ground, translated, glory to God, the word a harpazo, they were translated, they were a, a, a harpazo, rapturo, and where we get the word rapture, they were raptured and came alive to be with Jesus. Let me just make this distinction because sometimes uh, uh, it may be confusing to some, but there really is no confusion. The rapture of the church and the second coming are two separate events. They are two separate and individual events. And I can do another message another day. Maybe we'll do it next week. Glory to God. But 1 Thessalonians 4 13 through 18, it talks about the rapture of the church where the trumpet will sound and those that are dead in Christ will rise first and then they would be in the clouds to meet with Jesus and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. The word again, harpazo, and we will be caught up together to meet Jesus Christ in the air. If you look at Acts, I believe it's chapter 8, verse 39, Philip was Harpazo, when he was with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch and he was ministering to him and then he baptized him in the water and immediately he was caught up and found 110 miles in a different town and a different city. It's almost like a, a foreshadowing, a, a pattern of the rapture of the church. Glory to God. 
Then we think of, uh, we hear about the second coming. The second coming is when we return with him. You see, in the, the rapture of the church, the church is raptured. It's caught up in the air to meet Jesus in the clouds. And we will be with him for the seven-year period that falls on the earth, the great tribulation. And then Jesus will come at the second coming, the end of the tribulation period. And he will come on a white horse as described in Revelations 19, 11 through 16. And his eyes will be like flames of fire. And on his thigh will say, The Lord of hosts, faithful and true, the King of kings, glory to God. And we will be with him on white horses, dressed in fine white linen, the armies of heaven. Let me tell you, the resurrection happened. When, when Jesus rose again, uh, a time literally split in half. We, we record our calendar, B.C., A.D. Let me tell you, every time you write a check, every time you see a receipt and there's a date on it, it represents the risen Christ. Glory to God. Let me give you a couple of quotes. Uh, one from Franklin Graham. It says, we must not forget that it wasn't the Jews or the Romans that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin, your sin, our sins that put him up there. Peter Marshall said, The stone was rolled away from the door, not to permit Jesus to come out, but to allow the disciples to come in. And my last quote is from an unknown author. It says, Three nails didn't hold Jesus up on the cross. His love for mankind did. 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only begotten son to be the propitiation for our sins. The devil thought he won a mighty victory that day, but he never banked on the resurrection. That's why the enemy tries to intercept every Christian holiday or every reference to Jesus, especially of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is always perverting the truth. Let me ask you guys a question. Do the Muslims have any holidays that you know about that talk about rabbits and eggs and, and, and chocolates? And what about Santa Claus? You know, no other religions have these phony false holidays. There's no need to change what is already perverted. Glory to God. So the enemy tries to pervert the truth by causing us to divert our attention and place our, our attention on little bunny rabbits and, and little chicks and eggs and everything else. Uh, what an abomination. It drives me bananas to, to even think of. Let me tell you, the resurrection proves three things. I'll tell this to you quickly. Number one, Jesus is who he said he is. John eleven twenty five. 25, again, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. The second point, Jesus has the power that he claimed he has. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And the other point, number three, Jesus does what he promises he will do. Mark 10, 34, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise 
again. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Acts 1, 9 through 11, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, our Lord Jesus, he's alive and he is coming again. And early on the third day, he is coming for guess who? For the bride of Christ, for the church. That means you and I, those who believe in him, those who have received him into their heart, those who are children of the Most High God. He is coming for you. He is coming for me. And we will be with him forevermore, eternally. Glory to God. We will also be together again with those in Christ Jesus who have gone home before us, our lost loved ones, those that died early. We will be together again. We'll be reunited. Let this be words of comfort to every listener out there. Hallelujah. We will be together again in the marriage supper of the Lamb, the feast of all feasts, a celebration in paradise, in the presence and glory of God. Hallelujah. There will be no more weeping. There will be no more tears. He will wipe every eye dry. Glory to God. This is how the story ends. We win. Glory to Jesus. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you something. Revelations chapter 22. It is the last chapter in the Bible. But let me tell you, there's something really important that we cannot miss. Something that is repeated three times in this chapter. And I'd like to use the word trisagian. Trisagian. That means it goes into eternity. There's a custom in the, in the Hebrew or Jewish culture. When, when something is repeated three times, it echoes. It, it lasts forever and ever. And that's why we hear the angels in heaven. We read about them saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's called the Trisagian. And here in this last chapter, Jesus makes three statements, ver not even virtual. They are absolutely identical. Revelations 22, 7, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Revelations 22, 12, Behold, I am coming quickly quickly. Revelations 22 20. Behold, I am coming quickly. It's something when, 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 when God repeats something once or twice in the word, it, it is so important that we need to take notice of it. But when he does it three times, he is sealing it in all eternity. Jesus is coming again. Ready or not, like it or not, believe it or not. Hallelujah. Our Lord is coming again. Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen from the grave. Shout it from the rooftops. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Go and tell everyone. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for his bride. And we will be with him forever and ever. Glory to God. 
Those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life will live forever with Jesus Christ. Those who are born again of spirit. I love this quote that I I read. It says, born once, die twice. But if you're born twice, hallelujah, you die once. Glory to God. Let me ask you a question, those that are listening to uh, to this broadcast. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know the Father? Do you have an intimate, personal relationship with God? Let me tell you, come to the cross today. There is room at the cross for you today. Why don't you come and meet the risen Lord and Savior for yourself? Why don't you pass from death to life? Why don't you come alive today? Glory to God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is alive and he's risen from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why not make that your prayer on this Resurrection Sunday? On on this broadcast, even now, you don't even have to wait till Sunday. Why not make that confession now? Why not offer up a prayer unto God right now and ask Him into your life and receive Him? Why Why not do that right now? I want to thank you for listening to this message and I pray to God that many have responded to this call, that many have responded to this message, please reach out to us. We'd love to send you a Bible. We'd love to send you some material. We'd love to pray for you. Contact us. Reach us by phone or internet. And by all means, uh, may God's grace be upon you. May his peace be upon you. May his countenance be upon you. And may he grant you his love today. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Holy Week. And I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. We are so grateful to God for allowing us the opportunity to share this message with you. You are all in our prayers. We're able to bring this radio ministry to you because of the generous support of listeners like you. If you've been blessed by today's program, please consider partnering with us with a love offering of any amount. Visit our website, specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. That's specchurch.net, or call us at 845-342-9989. We invite you to worship with us one Sunday soon. We thank you for your prayers and support. God bless you.